Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. So there's this holiday created to celebrate love. And it's got all the bells and whistles, candy, cards, a day for chocolate and flowers, outdoing the year before if I can help it. <laughs> There's this mad rush to the store and a haste to find the gift to express my affection for the one I just can't live without. Until alas, I find the perfect sentiment <laughs> written by someone I don't even know. There's a different way to look at love, to share love, beyond words, beyond sentiment, beyond a single day, a whole new way to look at the word love. See, Jesus showed us another way, how to stoop down and lift up the broken. Make sure the last in life are treated like the first. Show the most favor to the least likely. Hang out with those that have nothing to offer me. Reach out and forgive even when it's not asked for. Ask forgiveness even when I don't think I need it. What a way to love, to give, not just from my pocket, but from my heart too. To love them beyond what they can produce. Like them for more than their talent. Hug them despite their social status. See, Jesus showed me the type of love that doesn't stick to a holiday, that speaks beyond a card, that blossoms long after a flower dies. That's the kind of love I want, I need, that I'll give. The type of love that overflows from the most amazing grace. Good morning, brethren. A recent article about ancient King David has drawn my attention on certain events in his life that serve as a vital lesson even for us today. The lesson is about David and a dark time in his life. It is about his sin against God, against Bathsheba, against her husband Uriah, and against the kingdom that God had given David to rule over. Let's look at briefly at the events that occurred that happened before we, we get to our reading for today so that we can establish some background for that. David one day saw Bathsheba, a beautiful woman, bathing and well, some people would say he fell immediately in love with her, but in reality, in reality, he was inflamed with lust toward her. Using his influence, his power as a king, he took Bathsheba and committed adultery with her. As a result, she became pregnant. And having come to know about her pregnancy, David plotted to have her husband sleep with her first so that he would think the baby was his. But Uriah would not do that, and in fact he would not even go to his home and sleep there because he felt like his fellow soldiers were 
in the front line, in the engaging of war, and, and he didn't th feel that it would be fair for him to go with his wife. So when that failed, David extended his plot and conspired to have Uriah killed in battle. And so it was. Uriah was sent to the front line, and then the other soldiers pulled back so that he was exposed, and then ended up being killed. After these events took place, God sent the prophet, prophet Nathan to confront King David. Now, let's keep in mind a couple of things at least. First of all, that David was not a pagan king. He was a king that God had appointed over Israel. He was a, a covenant king, a man of God, not a pagan king. The other thing we need to keep in mind is that this event and what God said about it warns us about the wrong idea of love, which today especially is completely misunderstood. It warns us against giving in to lust, and in particular about abusing power or authority. But let's read what Nathan, as he was sent by God to confront King David, had to say about all of this. And we'll read it from 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verses 1 to 15. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished. And he grew up together with him and his children. He would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom, and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan then said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hands of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why? Have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. 
Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take in your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. Now there are several things that we must notice in what God said through the prophet Nathan. First of all, God did not place the emphasis on Bathsheba, but on David. Whatever she may or may not have done was not an excuse for David's behavior. Because of his position, because of his leadership role, David had a grave responsibility in all this. And he orchestrated it all. He really went out of his way to sin and then to cover up his sin, even to the point of murder. So the emphasis was on David and his schemes to eliminate Uriah. Nathan was sent by God to confront David on the basis of a few things. As we saw in the reading, God sent Nathan to confront David for his lust. He confronted David for his abuse of power. And an abuse of power also that was represented by the taking of the poor man's lamb in the example that Nathan brought up to David. Just like that rich man in, the, in that um, example, in that story, in that parable that Nathan shared with David, just like that rich man had been given in to the lust of not offering to the, to the traveling man, to the host, to the guest, some of his flock, but took of that ewe lamb of the poor man. So David gave in to his lust, to his desire to take and to manipulate others and to exploit others and abuse this power as king to do all of this. Notice also that Nathan reminded David of God's generosity. God had given David so much. He had given David a kingdom. And if what God had given David was not enough, God himself said that he would have been willing to give him even, to give him even more. If David put and kept his trust on him, on God. But instead of trusting God, David gave in to his own desires. He took Bathsheba. 
and then killed Uriah to cover his sin. So, in all this story, which is a didactic story, now it is true life, it is real life, but it is a, an event that is recorded for us, as the Apostle Paul would say in the book of Romans, is recorded for us for our teaching so that we would learn. So it's a didactic story that reflects the true life of true people, King David, Uriah, Bathsheba, but it's recorded so that we would learn from their good and bad example. So what are the lessons then for us? Well, first of all, we find in here a wrong concept of love. So much is said about love today. But much of what is being said about love is actually not biblical. It is actually a false idea of love. Love today seems to be the equivalent of pleasure and liking. That's why so many people today, and, and by the way, this, this event in the life of David would make it a great movie for today because it's, it's filled with sex, it's filled with plots, it's filled with uh, deception, it, it's filled with uh, even conspiracy and murder. And it seems like it would be a, a plot that people would want to see in a modern movie. But in that modern movie, they would probably would portray David as being in love with Bathsheba. Because the concept that we have of love today is, I like it, I want it, I take it. But is that really love? The Bible has a different word for that, and that is lust. So what's the difference? The difference actually is very, very simple, and yet extremely profound. Love is defined in Scripture as a giving of oneself for the benefit of a beloved in Christ. So a giving of oneself for the benefit of the other person, lust is defined as a desire to take for oneself that eventually leads us to, to sin, to steal, or in this case to take somebody else's wife and commit adultery. So that wrong idea of love is implicitly embedded in here because instead of expressing love, we find here lust taking over. And lust here takes advantage of others. Lust tells us, I need it, I want it, and you are going to give it to me. In this case, maybe whether you like it or not, because I am the king, I am in authority, I have the power, and therefore I will take what I want. And so that also warns us and gives us a lesson about abuse of power. Now you might say, well, I'm not a king, and I'm not in, in authority, I don't have that kind of power, and that, and that is true. But every one of us has some degree of authority. I am a father, for example, and while my children now are adults and they don't live with us, but as they were growing up, I had certain authority over them. 
I take care of certain things. I'm a pastor, so as a, a pastor, I also have a certain degree of authority over the church. And unfortunately, these type of problems, unfortunately, are all too common among pastors. But every one of us has some degree of power, some degree of authority. And we all really need to, need to listen to, to these lessons. We need to listen carefully to what God is saying here to, to David through the prophet Nathan. Now, let, let's look at what happens even today. There is a pattern that tends to occur. It may happen in the family, it may happen uh, in the church, it may happen in the community, it may happen in the nation. The pattern usually starts with, let's, let's take for example, the church. There's a young minister that starts in ministry and at some point the ministry becomes successful. So there is a successful time in a family that could be you know, the, the, the man and the woman falling in love and, and appreciating one another and it leads to a marriage and it seems to be very good and it fulfills all the dreams and all the hopes and all the expectations that the couple had. Maybe there is a successful time for a while. But let's go back to the church because even recently, some pastors have been discovered that having done exactly or well, not quite exactly, short of murder, because that it was not the case. But as far as abusing power, as far as um, sexual misconduct, as far as exploiting others, and then plotting to cover up this sin, that it was the same. And a number of pastors, and even some evangelists that have, are very well known on TV, have fallen for that. So let's go back to that and understand it. But as you can see, it applies not just to ministry and, and the church, it applies to many other areas of life as well. There is a successful time, or maybe a successful ministry, and that leads to a rise in rank, a rise in leadership, maybe in some cases even a prominence. I don't look at, at the church as... as hierarchy with different ranks. In fact, Jesus taught us the, the opposite. If you want to be the greatest among Jesus' followers, be the least of them. Jesus promoted servant, servanthood and servant leadership, not a hierarchy of power. But when people are successful and they rise in leadership, unfortunately, Instead of serving, you begin to see this hierarchy of power taking place. And that, especially when the power is unchecked, especially when the individual begins to feel like he or she is in complete control, then exploitation of others begins to take place. In other words, that power is being used, that authority is being used to take advantage of others. And that's where the sexual misconduct, like in the case of King David, and some pastors, unfortunately, 
and some evangelists, unfortunately, that's when it takes place. It's an abuse of power that gives the individual too much confidence. The lust gets in the way. And so in the mind, it begins to form the idea, I need it, I want it, and I have the power to take it. But then, of course, sin strikes back. Just like David found out that Bathsheba was pregnant, and now he, he was frantically trying to cover up the sin, so do others. Maybe not everyone ends up being pregnant, not every abuse of power goes in that direction, but sin always strikes back. And so the attempt now is made to silence and to cover up the sin and silence those who might disagree, those who might uncover that sin. And all of this is dreadful. And it's horrible. Perhaps in a lower scale, it happens in families. Husbands sometimes think they have power in the family. When the family, instead of being a, a fellowship of oneness, in the love of Christ, becomes a hierarchy, then the unchecked power that the, the husband oftentimes believes that he has turns into exploitation, taking advantage of the rest of the family, taking advantage of the wife, taking advantage of the children sometimes. And if they disagree, they get silenced. And if something bad happens, all sorts of attempts are being made to cover it up. And so the sin multiplies. So you see, we don't need to be kings to be caught up in that web. It happens all too often. That kind of sin and what goes around it, it's all too common. In fact, one case is too many. So why is there this tendency to use power and authority in the wrong way? Because the temptation is to use that authority for self-satisfaction. The temptation becomes very strong. I can fulfill my desires with the authority that I have. And so one that is caught in that begins to lust after that control and begins to lust after that expression or that use or misuse, actually, abuse of power to promote a self-interest, to promote themselves, to increase that power to glorify themselves. And as you can see, that's all along the path of lust. A desire to get something for oneself, a desire for more, and it never, ever seems to be satisfied. But there is a right use of power. There is a right use of authority. And it's very much related to love. Because as Jesus Christ taught us, as God taught us from the beginning, in fact, the right use of power and authority is not to serve oneself, it's not to glorify oneself, but it is to serve others in all humility, 
To serve, not to be served. To love, not to be loved. And to bring praise and glory, not to oneself, but to bring praise and glory to God. That's the right use of power. That's the right use of authority. As you can see very easily, it's a matter of the heart. A heart that is created to love. A heart that God gave us so that we can experience the amazing joy that comes from a self-giving that expresses the love of God in us. But unfortunately, it is too often distorted by lust. It starts in the heart with the wrong idea of love and it turns into justifying lust as if that was love. Looking for all these things for oneself. David took Bathsheba for himself. He did not give anything. He took for himself. And lust then leads to immorality, intimidation, violence, and all sorts of different aspects of sin. So let's put it in context and let's bring it home. We're all created in the image of God. But God is love. And so if God is love and we are created in the image of God, that means we are created with the ability to express the love that God is. So we are called to participate in the very nature of God. And that's why we receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, by the way, that according to the Apostle Paul in Romans 5, 5, pours out in our hearts the very love of God. We are created to love. It is not a matter of filling the love bucket. It's a matter of giving oneself for the benefit of others in Christ. The expectations are not in, on other people so that they can fulfill our wants, our desires, our lusts, but the expectations are on ourselves. We expect ourselves to express the love that God pours out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. But think about it. It's not a matter of finding love. Why? Because God himself pours out his love in our hearts. And when we allow it through the communion that we are given with God by the Holy Spirit, we allow that love to saturate our hearts. We don't need to go, of course, look, my, I know my wife loves me, and that's wonderful, right? It is great. It's not wrong to appreciate the love that someone expresses toward us. But we don't need to go and look for it. We don't need to lust for it. We don't need to, to take it from the other person because our hearts are saturated with the love of God that actually not only fills our hearts, but overflows in us and through us to be expressed toward the other person. 
So that instead of wanting to be loved by the other person, we don't need to do that. We don't need to search for that, but we can express it and pour it out. And the more we pour that love, the more we participate in the expression of a love that God pours in our hearts, the more God pours. Remember what God said to, to David. If what I have given you wasn't enough, I would give you more. And it's the same, the same with the love that God pours in our hearts. If for whatever reason, which I never, I never seen a case where that would be the case, but if for whatever reason we would need more, well, God has an infinite source of it, and He would definitely bless us with more of it so that He can fill our hearts and outpour, overflow from us to be a blessing toward everyone around us. So it is not a transactional matter whereby we say, oh yes, okay, I'm going to give of myself to you as long as you make me feel good or as long as you please me or as long as you... No, that's a tit for tat. That's, that's buying love. It's an excuse. The love of God does not work that way. It frees us from all that and it overflows in the form of concern and care for the well-being of others. A blessing, an incredible blessing for those that are around us. Now, what would the results of that be? Now, let's look back at David one more time. If David, instead of being caught by lust, was actually expressing love, he would never have abused his power, his authority, to take Bathsheba. First of all, he wouldn't have stood there looking at her. Second, he would not have wanted to have a relation with her, relations with her because he knew that she was married and he would have respected that. And out of concern for other people, he would have respected their marriage. And, of course, he wouldn't have anything to cover up. Uriah would not have been killed. And David's own family would have been influenced for good by his example instead of evil. Because the sin of David affected his family as well. Look, brethren, let's not make any mistake. There is no such thing as a private sin in our life. What we do affects us and others around us as well. Whatever authority, whatever power we may have, whether it is in the family or in a community or in the nation for that matter or in the church, as leaders in the church, should only be used to serve and to bless others. It should be used to bring praises to God, not ourselves. But it all starts in the heart. Love, not lust. Serving, not being served. Giving, 
not taken. Remember what Jesus said. It is so much more blessed to give than to receive. He wasn't joking. He wasn't saying something preposterous. He was saying the most fundamental truth of life. Respecting instead of exploiting. Humility instead of pride. So brethren, may the Lord grant us all to use the blessings, the amazing blessings that he has given us to use them for good and not for selfish ambition. And may his love fill your heart and overflow in the beautiful, wonderful giving that is the love that God himself is in you. God bless you. Loving God, help me stay open to the love in this world of pain. In my hurt, I often close down. Open me with the gift of forgiveness. In my worry, I often turn inward. Lift my gaze to your future. In my loneliness, I often feel unworthy. Remind me of my infinite value as a participant in your divine nature. In all things, Draw me to the living love of Jesus Christ available right now in the interior realms of silence and surrender. Amen. It's who 
While most creatures instinctually dance to God's song, human beings choose whether or not to listen and respond. Gradually, we stopped hearing the song and eventually became deaf to the lyrics and melody. We found other songs to sing with violent rhythms that made us flail and crash into one another. The original dance became a fading memory that still fills our hearts with longing. Poets and prophets were sent to remind us of the score so we could rehearse and return to the dance. Finally, a chosen one was sent at great cost to heal our deafness and teach us how to move to the rhythm of God's song again. First, a few of us began to hear the music, so beautiful and alive. It made us not want to dance to our own songs anymore. Now, more and more of us are entering a dance that will eventually enchant the whole world. Together, we will become one great throng, hearing the same song and moving in rhythm with the divine aria. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with singing. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God, remind us that we are made in your image. Help us to love each other and be made one as you are one. Give us courage to live out our next step. Help us to see your love in the people you've surrounded us with. And let us bring love to those we encounter in the world this week. Amen. <laughs> 